Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this week I'm going to be offering advice for producing more captivating videos. No matter your skill level and no matter the content you create, this podcast is for you. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Before we dive into the podcast, I want to mention the Filming with Josh Facebook group. If you're not a member of the Filming with Josh Facebook group, I want you to hop onto Facebook, type in Filming with Josh, and ask to join the group today. The Filming with Josh Facebook group is a great place to come and learn more about videography, photography, and the business that goes with it. For those who don't know me, my name is Joshua Milligan, and I own Rustic River Media, a Texas-based multimedia production company. We specialize in video production, but we also offer website design, social media marketing, and photography. Other than running my business, I also love teaching people about videography, which is why this May, I'm offering an outdoor film school here in the Texas Hill Country. On May 17th, 18th, and 19th, you can come to Wimberley, Texas to learn how to produce a video from concept to final production. Day one will be spent in the classroom talking about different parts of video production. Day two will be spent storyboarding and actually shooting a commercial for a working hunting ranch. Day three, we will wrap up shooting and we'll begin post-production and we'll finish the final product all in three days. For those who are interested, the cost is $1,200 and that includes food, lodging, and some good Texas beer. If you are interested, send me an email at josh at rusticriver.media or PM me on Facebook at Joshua Milligan. Last week's podcast with Joelle was an incredible episode all about adventure, faith, and entrepreneurship, where Joelle discusses how he's created a business taking people on backpacking trips all around the world. It's one of my favorite podcasts to date, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I want to encourage you to scroll back to episode number nine and check that awesome podcast out. Also, if you didn't catch my post last week in the Filming with Josh group, I posted a vlog that's all about audio. You can find it on our new YouTube page, Rustic River Media, as well as going on to our Filming with Josh Facebook group and scrolling back to last week's posts. This vlog is a great vlog, and it covers all the different pieces of equipment I use to capture audio in my video productions. I want to encourage you to check it out so you can learn how to capture better sounding audio for your next project. Now that we've got the announcements out of the way, I want to dive into this week's podcast. I ran a poll a couple days ago asking you guys what you would like to hear the most this week. And there were three options. And the first one was advice for producing more captivating videos. The second one was what lenses I use and why. And the third one was why you should consider shooting in log. Well, advice for producing more captivating videos got by far the most votes for this next podcast. So that's why we're going to do this one today. I plan on doing all three of these podcasts, but... I do agree that this is a great podcast topic to talk about, and I really think that I can provide some advice for people on how they can produce more captivating videos. Before I kind of give you some insight on how you can produce more captivating videos, I want to talk a little bit about kind of my background and what I like and don't like from where my background comes from. When I started getting into video production, I originally was looking at getting into exclusively the hunting world. I'm a big outdoorsman. I was studying wildlife management in college. I love 
outdoor related things. I love hunting, I love fishing, and that was kind of what led me into doing video production. I started by filming my own hunts and kind of making videos about it. They were super cheesy, but I enjoyed it, and that's kind of what created my passion for video production. Now today, I still work in the outdoor space, um, but it only takes up about 35 to 40% of what my business does. The rest of it is all involved in commercial work and web videos and things like that for a variety of different industries and companies. Um, but there's no denying that my start got, I got my start in the outdoor space. And after I kind of started getting into video production, my first kind of jobs were in the outdoor world. And then I eventually got a full-time job being the lead producer for two outdoor television shows. And that's kind of what launched me into being a full-time filmmaker. And when I was producing outdoor television, there were a lot of things I liked and didn't like about it. Um, I worked for full-time for Keith Warren uh, for one year, and then I went on contract on my second year with Keith. Um, for those who don't know who Keith Warren is, Keith Warren has been on outdoor television for over 30 years. He has had fishing shows, he's had hunting shows, he's had all kinds of different things. And Keith is one of those guys that you either love him or you hate him. And I love Keith. I think Keith has got a very captivating personality. He's not afraid to speak his mind. He's not afraid to tell you what he, you know, what he thinks, and he definitely sticks up for what he believes in. Um, and that's kind of why I think he's you either love him or you hate him because some people may disagree with his viewpoints and may not like him for it. But if you if you agree with his viewpoints, you love the guy. And um, for me personally, um, whether I agree or disagree with things that he talks about. I just working alongside him, I loved the guy. I loved everything about him. He was fun to be around. When we were work together, we were constantly laughing. I mean, even when when things were going to hell in a handbasket, we were just, we were laughing the entire time. We both just enjoyed what we did. And so I really enjoyed my time working with Keith. His show is not going to have the same look and feel of a Heartland Bowhunter show or um, other shows like that, but it doesn't need to because his audience or people that grew up watching him or people that watch him kind of for um, who he is and kind of what he stands for. And so that is what makes him captivating in his own way. Being in the outdoor TV world, I kind of learned that there really are a few different types of shows. There are the types of shows like Keith's where the host is what is captivating. Um, whether it's a Keith Warren or Jim Shockey or someone like that who has a captivating personality, um, whether the person is funny or the person is outspoken or the person is very informative. Uh, there are types of shows out there that are built around that individual or the host's individual personality. And that's what makes that show captivating. There are other shows out there who maybe instead of having a host or a group of hosts who are captivating, what they do instead is try to make their show look captivating. And they might do that um, similar to how Heartland Bowhunter does it. Heartland Bowhunter is um, a group of guys. It's not really based around one individual. Um, and they, are, they have captivating personalities, but really what makes them um, captivating is the fact that you're watching a group of friends who obviously really like each other and who kind of grew into this thing together to make it what it is today. And you, if you've watched the show for years, then you, like I have, then you have grown to 
um, get to know the characters and who they are, and you kind of they're always having fun, they're always laughing, they're always enjoying themselves, and that's kind of what makes their show captivating. It's also captivating because it's a really well produced show, but I think a lot of people enjoy it not just because of how it looks, but also because you've kind of grown to appreciate the characters for who they are. Then you have shows that try to be captivating based on where they are shot and produced at. Uh, For instance, you might have a show that focuses on traveling all over the world, or maybe it's based solely in um, a place like South Africa, or maybe you have a show that's produced in a variety of Asian countries. Um, There are shows out there that try to use um, where they are to be the kind of subject uh, or premise of their entire production. And then lastly, you have shows that try to use production value to be captivating. And this is the area where I think people get themselves into trouble. When you have watched outdoor television, and if you've watched it for any length of time, you know that when you've seen one deer hunt, you've pretty much seen all of them. There are different films and TV shows out there that do a good job of telling a story in a different way or telling a different story. A great example of that would be The River's Divide by Donnie Vincent, which is a great uh, film based on a deer hunt. But that products like that are few and far between. Um, it seems like the overwhelming majority of deer hunting shows or films are kind of the same. Um, you see a slow motion shot of someone shutting a tailgate and walking to their stand. You see a, a drone shot of the area that they're at. You see um, a sliding time lapse. You see a gimbal shot of um, someone, you know, following someone with a gimbal. You see um, interviews or voiceovers that basically tell you what happened. Um, and you see the same thing over and over again. And it's hard to separate yourself when that is pretty much the same thing over and over and over and over again. And so what people have done is they they feel that, you know, if they bust out um, some money and they buy a gimbal or a drone or a slider or something like that, they can use that to separate themselves. But the problem is, is that's what everybody's mentality is. And so you watch outdoor TV or outdoor projects today and you see that pretty much everybody is doing that exact same thing. And so now you're no longer unique. You're just like everybody else. Not to mention the fact that people have a tendency to abuse those different production values that will way overuse slow motion or way overuse sliders or way overuse gimbals and drones and things like that. So how do you, if you don't have a very captivating person or group of people, like in Heartland Bowhunter's case, and if you aren't going to be hunting in an Asian country or South Africa or something like that, how would you separate yourself? How would you become captivating um, and, and do a good job of telling a story that's different than other people? And that's a great question. That's a million-dollar question. I think it's a question that um, everybody's trying to answer so that they can get their foot in the door. And that's a hard, it's a hard area to go into because there are so many people that are doing the exact same thing. So before I kind of give you advice on how you can separate yourself, I want to start by how you can maybe not fall in line and be like everybody else. Um, And the, the first piece of advice I have is quit overusing 
things. Quit trying to use production value as a crutch to tell your story. Um, I don't think it's a good idea to go out and shoot everything in slow motion. Um, 120 frames per second and up is yesterday's news. Um, I don't think it's good to try to use gimbal shots to show all different kinds of um, motion in your product. You're just like everybody else. Same thing with drones and sliders and things like that. Should you still use those different production values? Absolutely. Um, but tastefully and only when it helps you tell your story. I think if you sit down and you watch any good movie, um, for instance, uh, you're, you guys are probably going to laugh at me. I'm going to rag on myself here for a second. But my wife and I, um, we, we watched a couple nights ago, A Walk to Remember. And I, I've seen this movie a couple times, um, once when I was growing up. And then I think I watched it with some girls in college. Um, but I'm not ashamed to admit that I actually, I actually kind of like the movie. I think it's an interesting story. Now, obviously, it's a it pulls at your heartstrings a little. But what makes it good is just the story in general. It's the story of this guy who's kind of grown up without a dad, and um, kind of gets into some trouble and um, is known for that. And then he meets this girl who is overwhelmingly nice and forgiving, and um, he ends up liking her and turns out she has cancer, you know, and it's a really kind of a sad story, but it's a good story. And I'm not ashamed to admit that I kind of like it. And whenever I watched that with my wife the other day, I remembered, you know, what made this good was the story. It wasn't um, the production value necessarily. I mean, this was a, a show that was, or a movie that was made like 20 plus years ago, but what made it good was the story. And so when I watched it, um, that's what captivated me. I wasn't focusing on slow motion shots or dolly shots or shots done with a helicopter since drones weren't a thing back then. I wasn't focused on those things. I was just focused on the story and that's what made it captivating. I think that that is something that gets lost today, whether you are producing outdoor related videos or web videos um, or you know a promotional video for uh, a local company like a, a, a brewer or a winery or something like that, what you see is more and more people try to just rely on production values to elevate themselves. And they use a lot of quick cuts, a lot of dramatic music, a lot of slow motion and speed ramps. And they forget about the things that make movies like A Walk to Remember or Gladiator or you know, the Patriot so good. I mean, yes, there's action and stuff in some of those other movies I just mentioned, but what made them really good was the story that they told. And so that's something that gets lost today. What I've, what I've done over the last couple of years is my wife and I, we sat down and we, we watched all the videos I did and we wrote down all the things we liked and disliked about them. And we came up with a pretty good list. And I was pretty honest with myself. I was brutal. I ripped myself apart and I, some of the things I've just talked about that I think people use as crutches, I absolutely have used as crutches. I've used voiceover as a crutch. I've used slow motion as a crutch, um, different things like that over the years. Um, so a couple years ago, my wife and I decided to sit down and just rip my videos apart and figure out, you know, what, what were the things I did wrong? And then what were the things I did right? And we came up with a list and... This list included um, things like being personable, um, 
with your character and use really good sound design and get straight to the point. You know, don't uh, don't try to be overly creative. Um, write a really clean script, something that allows your audience to understand what's going on clearly. Um, and don't you know? Don't try to be too cutesy with the film. I don't. I don't. That's really the best <laughs> word I could think of there. But don't don't just try to be too over the top creative. There's a difference between being over the top and being clean and producing a clean, good looking product. And so those are some of the things that we wrote down. You know, we talked about making sure that we don't put unnecessary graphics in the videos and don't make it unnecessarily long and make sure that there's a beginning, middle, and an end. I mean, that's basic storytelling. And so we wrote down this list of things that we felt I had done well and the things that I really needed to focus on doing. And then we started trying to incorporate that in newer projects that we were getting ready to start. And one of my favorite examples of a video that I felt um, followed this list really well was a project I made called Heart of the Hollow. It's like a seven and a half or eight minute long film, short film I made about a hunting ranch in Oklahoma. And it's about this guy, Bob, who purchased this ranch. To It's over 5,000 acres. And um, it talks about kind of how he cultivated this ranch into making it kind of a hunting paradise and what made it really unique and really special. And then how he realizes that he's going to have to give that place up and sell it and pass the torch on to somebody else, but that he was okay with that because he had came and left his mark, and now he was ready to hand the keys on to someone else. And it was one of my favorite projects I've ever created. And what made it good um, was the story. I did not use an interview, and I did not have in-field dialogue or anything like that. It was ex- it was exclusively um, voiceover driven, but the voiceover worked for this project. You know, not every project um, should have a voiceover. I think people use voiceover as a crutch. I myself have done that in the past, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. Um, But for this particular project, voiceover made the most sense, and it told a really great story. I don't think I ever used a gimbal in the entire project, Um, The aerial shots, I did use aerial shots, but I used them like I flew it inside of a barn or um, different things like that. I tried to be, I tried to use it to help me naturally get a shot rather than just for the sake of having an aerial shot. Um, I also, um, I use a slider like maybe once in the project, maybe not even, I don't know. Um, And I've got a really nice remote controlled slider, but I, I didn't hardly use it at all, if at all, in the entire project. What made it, oh, and I also didn't, I don't think I use slow motion, but maybe once or twice in the entire project. What made it good was the entire story I told um, and the fact that I just used the basic fundamentals of storytelling um, and the basic fundamentals of video production. I focused on having really good sound design and I focused on shooting in the best lighting I could possibly shoot in. And then I focused on getting shots that went with the voiceover I wrote for my client. And the final product was a really well-written project with shots that matched everything that we talked about um, that told a captivating story and had really great sound design to accompany it. And that that video went over very well. Uh, It's no longer on Facebook because he sold the ranch. Um, I have it on my Vimeo 
account, and I've shared it on my personal Facebook page a couple of times, but when we posted it on his Facebook page, the ranch's page, back before he sold the ranch, it got like 50,000 views in just a couple weeks. And it got that many views because it was a very interesting story. It was captivating in a sense that it was just short, to the point, well told. It wasn't overly long and it wasn't overly creative. It it focused on the fundamentals of storytelling and the fundamentals of video production, and that's what made it captivating. And so that's kind of the approach I have whenever I go to do a project today. Um, another example was in 2017, end of 2017 in November, I went to Saskatchewan, Canada, and I went and produced a doc film about a family there that runs a hunting outfit in Canada. And I did it in the wintertime. It was brutally cold. And once again, I focused on the story. Um, This film has not been, I have not released it. It's been done for like six or eight months. I haven't put it out on the internet yet um, just because I don't know what I want to do with it. But I, I focused once again on the story, the sound design, and just the basic fundamentals. And I this one had more creative stuff. It had more gimbal shots and sliding shots and drone shots. But I again, I only used them when I felt like it helped contribute to the story. And I feel like it's really important to talk about this because when you look at what other people are doing in that space today, rather than focus on the story and the basic fundamentals, you see the same type of thing over and over again. And so it's really, I think it's really important that when you're going to design a project, whether it's a short film, a TV show, a web video, whatever it is, that you first and foremost focus on the story and then capturing that story using the basic fundamentals of video production. And once you've accomplished that, that's when you can start getting a little bit more creative. And if you follow those steps, you will tell a more captivating story. So kind of, let me break that down for you. How, how can you do that? And that's, that's what I want to talk about. The first and foremost, when you go to tell a story, let's say, um, let's say, let's talk about that ranch I did in Oklahoma. When I went to go tell that story, the first thing I did is I entered it with a game plan. I researched the ranch forward and backward. Um, I read everything about it I could find online. I talked to my client on the phone to learn a lot about the ranch, um, what made it unique, um, why why it meant so much to him, uh, why he bought it in the first place, why he felt the need to have to pass it on. I learned all those things and I wrote down just a bunch of notes because I wanted to know the story myself. I felt like I couldn't tell the story if I didn't know the story. And so I started with a game plan. Um, rather than just show up and blindly shoot, I made an effort to really understand what it was I was there to to do, what, what the story was about. Because if I didn't know that and I just showed up and started shooting, um, the project would not have been nearly as successful as it was. So you got to start with a game plan. And to start with your game plan, you've got to do some research and you've got to learn about the people you're filming or the place you're filming at or um, kind of what the topic is. Once you've done that research, it's also really important, in my opinion, that you look up other videos that you can find, um, if there are any, that cover similar topics or that are uh, about similar companies. And 
you watch them and see what they've done right or they've done wrong. Uh, for instance, when I first started doing dentistry videos, I've done several dentistry videos, but when I first started doing dentistry videos, my wife and I sat down and we researched um, basically web-based minute and a half, two minute long dentist videos, and we watched a bunch of them so we could see kind of what other people were doing. And we kind of like we did for myself, we wrote down what we liked and what we didn't like about them and what ones we felt made us want to go to a certain dentist and which ones were like, nah, that dentist obviously doesn't care much about their practice because the video is really bland and doesn't do anything to make me want to go there. And so what we did is we we watched those videos and we wrote down the things we liked and disliked and we incorporated those into our projects. And so that's part of the research that you've got to do up front when you're getting your game plan together. You've got to watch similar um, videos that are based on or, or maybe not even similar videos, but just videos that are based on similar industries or similar um, stories so that you can understand kind of what what has been done in the past and what's been done well and what needs to be improved upon so you could be the person to come in and try to make all the improvements and do all the things correctly and instead of being the person that had a lot of uh, made a lot of mistakes. And you figure that out by kind of watching other people's videos that are out there. And that's just all part of your basic research. And then you really, like I said earlier, part of your research is you just really got to make sure that you understand what makes that business or place unique. And that's kind of got to be a big focal point for you. Once you write all that down and you now have a game plan, you next need to have goals. You got to establish goals um, before you go into the project. You know, what is it that you want to do? Well, for me, my goal for this this ranch in Oklahoma, after I did my research and I learned as much as I could about Bob and and who he was and, and his background as a physician, it was a uh, one of the leading eye surgeons in Texas. And um, once I learned about him and his background and his ranch, and once I watched other videos about similar places and I had all my research done and I learned what was unique, I next wanted to establish my goals. And I knew that Bob was wanting to sell his property. We didn't want to come out and say it was for sale. You know, we didn't want to say, here's a 5,000 acre place located in eastern Oklahoma next to the Arkansas border that's got, you know, um, three quarters of its high fence and it buds up next to Indian Reservation, blah, 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 blah. And we didn't want to go in and tell something like that and add a price on it or anything like that. Instead, we just wanted to create a creative story that if a real estate agent was to send it to someone in another state and they watched it, they would want to be the next Bob Burlingame. They would want to be the next person to run that ranch. So I knew going in that my goal was to put together a video that would make someone want to purchase the place, but do it without actually saying it was for sale because we wanted it to be a real estate video that was not really a real estate video a short film that sold a property without putting a price or for sale sign on it. That was the entire purpose of that project. And so I knew that that was my goal. And once I had my goal written down and I knew kind of what the story was going to be, I mean, the story was going to be about Bob and this place and what it meant to him and how he was ready to pass the keys down to the to someone else or pass the torch to someone else. And that was kind of the the essence of the story, and that was the goal. And once we knew that, um, 
I could then go in and put together a shot sheet. So my shot sheet consisted of all the different types of shots that I wanted to get to support my story. And guys, this is all before I ever even went to the place. Because if I just showed up blindly without a goal, without a shot sheet, or without doing any research, I'm just a dude with a camera. And that's not who you want to be. So all of this is important that you do this ahead of time. And when it comes to making your shot sheet, there are going to be things that you don't know to write down because you may not know until you get there. For instance, when I went to Saskatchewan to um, shoot my um, that doc film I was talking about earlier that I haven't released yet, um, I had been to this place several times, but I had never been there when it was completely snowed over. And so I had an idea going in of what I wanted to do, but as soon as I got there and I saw how much snow was there, it kind of, you know, I had to adapt and change things on my shot sheet because some things I wanted to get, I could no longer get, or some things I never would have thought about getting um, now were worth getting because they looked really great in the snow. And so there are things that you're going to have to add or take away on your shot sheet, but it's still important before you go on your project that you sit down and you write down an overall basic shot sheet of what you want to get for that particular story. Now, I have seen over the years in being in video production, especially coming from the outdoor world originally, people would always pass around basic outdoor TV shot sheets. And I've taken a look at them before and they're just not for me. I feel like you can't have a basic shot sheet that is kind of universal that everyone can use. I feel like a shot sheet is all dependent upon the story that you're telling, the place you're going, the people that you're going to be with. And so when I come up with a shot sheet, it's a new shot sheet every single time. And so for instance, when I went to um, Oklahoma, I had written down that I knew I wanted to capture several sunrises and several sunsets. Um, So I wrote in my shot sheet to get some time-lapse sunrises, some time-lapse sunsets. Um, I wrote down that I wanted to get some aerial shots of certain parts of the property because he had, um, the owner had told me uh, through my research about certain places that were very captivating. For instance, um, Jump Jack Bluff, I believe was the name of this really big cliffside that was on his property because it's in the Ozark Mountains. And I knew it would be important to capture Jump Jack Bluff. And so I wrote down in my shot sheet that I wanted to capture it. And, um, you know, by doing some research, I saw that the best way to capture it was probably going to be with a drone. So I wrote that down on my shot sheet. I wrote down that I wanted to get a few inside shots of the lodge. um, And I thought about the best way to capture inside shots of the lodge. And so I decided to do it with um, a slider and with a gimbal. And I wrote those down in my shot sheet. I wrote down in my shot sheet that I wanted to get um, some ATV shots because I wanted to show um, Bob driving on his ATV because Bob had told me that he goes to this ranch and spends a lot of time there and he'll drive around on an ATV and work on the property and check fences and stuff. So I knew I wanted to capture that. So I wrote down, you know, ATV or shots of Bob and ATV in my shot sheet. He told me that um, one of the things that he thought was really unique about his property was that there were logging opportunities or opportunities to... um, create lumber out of different cedars and things there. And so I wrote down that I wanted to capture shots of him um, creating um, different um, 
boards off of wood that came off his property because he told me he had the machinery to do it. So I put that in my shot sheet because I knew that a potential buyer, if they watched this film and they saw that, might be interested in doing the same thing. So I, it made it into my shot sheet. And so I just had this really long shot sheet that went along with the research I had done and, this, and, and it just covered all these different things that I wanted to capture. And when I got there, I started adding things. I, I looked at the place and I said, man, there's a dog here. And I asked him about his dog and he told me this you know, story about how much this dog meant to him. And I was like, well, <laughs> we're going to put that in the shot sheet um, because I want to I want to show shots of you and this dog. And so it made it into my shot sheet, you know, and I saw the gate when I got there. It was gorgeous. And I thought, man, that needs to be in my shot sheet. And so I had this really long, ever growing shot sheet of how what all I wanted to capture while I was there. And for me personally, when I do projects like this, I like to allot myself a pretty good block of time. Typically, if I'm going to be shooting at a place like that, I want a week to 10 days. A lot of you are probably freaking out over that comment because you like to shoot your projects in two or three days. Um, but for me, when I go to shoot a video about a ranch, for example, I want to have a lot of wildlife footage. I want to have a lot of... Um, time lapses so that even if I only use one or two of them, I want to be able to have multiple ones to choose from. Um, I want to have a lot of different types of content that I can have on, on, on my drive so that when I go to put my project together, if something doesn't work out quite the way I had envisioned, I have something else I can try instead. And so I like to allot myself seven to 10 days. I also like to do that because I try my best to shoot in good lighting conditions. Um, that film, for instance, part of the reason why it looks so good is almost every shot was shot in the golden hours, either in the mornings or evenings. I was there for 10 days and I shot only in the mornings and only in the evenings. Um, every once in a while, there were a few shots that came either at night or during the day. But for the most part, I shot in the golden hours for the entire project. Now, I understand that everyone has that luxury. But personally, when I'm doing a project like that, that's something I plan for. And I make sure that I'm there long enough to be able to shoot in good lighting and to be able to follow my shot sheet as close as possible. Because the way I see it is if I have 65 things on my shot sheet and I knock 58 of them out, I know when I come home that I got a ton of content. If I don't follow my shot sheet and I just show up and shoot things blindly, I may get home and say, crap, I forgot to get this or I wish I would have done that. But if I follow my shot sheet, even if I can't finish it, if I follow it as closely as possible, then I'm staying true to my plan and I'm capturing enough content that when I come home, I know I can put together a captivating story because I, I made sure that when I was there, I got the content to support my story. And so having a shot sheet going in and then being able to not only follow it, but to adapt it and change it while you're there and add to it and take away from it um, while you're there will really help you to make sure that you get everything you need and make sure you have a pretty long shot sheet. I mean, you don't want to have like 12 things on there and, and be kind of detailed. I like to write down, okay, I want to get a shot of Bob and his dog. Let's do it with Bob shutting the gate and uh, flying the drone through the gate while he's shutting the gate and having his dog um, walking with him as he leaves the gate after shutting it. And we're going to capture this all in one shot. That is literally written down in my shot sheet and probably better worded than that. <laughs> but And um, I made sure that I set aside a time one day when I was there in the morning to capture that exact shot. I flew the drone through the gate, literally through part of the gate, and 
panned down while I was flying it through the gate and showed Bob, as he had just finished shutting the gate, walking away with his dog with him. And that was one of the ways I showed the dog and the gate together. And that was all in my shot sheet that I wrote down when I first got there. And I made sure and I grabbed it. And it was one of my favorite shots from the project. And so it's really important that you you follow that. And, you know, types of things, all other types of things are like if you're, if you're, if you're, there and you're telling, let's say it's a, a hunting film, you know, um, let's say you're sheep hunting in the mountains somewhere, you might want to have action shots. So make sure that you put down in your shot sheet that you want to get action shots, tights, mediums, wides. You want a combination of those. Um, so when you come back, you have a variety of shots to choose from. You want to have slower paced static shots. You know, not everything has to move all the time. You know, you you're, know you're going to need shots of wildlife. So put that in your shot sheet. So those are the types of things that I make sure that I do um, going into a project and that I try to stick to it while I'm there. And like I said earlier, your story needs a be- beginning, a middle, and an end. You can't just have pretty music and say you're hunting something and be done with it. It needs to have a a beginning, a middle, and an end. You need to introduce the story. Where are you? What are you doing? Why are you there? And then you need to have um, the middle part where you're kind of grinding it out, trying to figure things out. And then you need to have an ending where you wrap it up. That's even true for like a dentist video. You know, we'll go back to the dentist video I did recently. Um, I'm not done editing it, but like I've learned, you know, when I do dentist videos to make sure I have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Who are the people that I'm introducing? Kind of what do they do? That's the middle. And then I wrap it up by having them do a a call to action or an invite for people to come uh, to visit their office. And when people watch this minute and a half long video, they're going to see the beginning, the middle, and the end. And they're going to say, okay, you know, here's such and such dentist located in such and such place. This is what all they do. And then here is him personally inviting me to come. I think I'm going to want to go try that dentist out. And so those are the types of things that you want to do um, is, is to make sure that when you put together a story, whether it's a commercial or a web video or a TV show or whatever, you need to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And you can write that in your story um, when you're storyboarding and writing down all your research. You want to have that in there so that when you're there, you know to capture um, certain shots for the beginning, certain, certain shots for the middle, and certain shots for the end. And... Obviously, if you're documenting something, um, your middle and your ending is going to change. Um, but you still want to make sure that you follow your middle and your ending, or, or at least have a middle and an end, and that you're trying to follow your shot sheet, and again, that you adapt to whatever it is that you're doing. Another piece of advice I have is to give your audience a reason to continue watching your film or to watch it in the first place. Um, a good example of that, and this is kind of a spoiler alert if you've never um, watched this film, but uh, not too many years ago, there was a project that came out called Beyond the Roar, and many of you listening to this podcast might have seen it. And Beyond the Roar, if you haven't seen it, and again, this is a spoiler alert, but there is several shots throughout the project that show um, the characters fumbling around with a shotgun shell, and they were on a hunt in the middle of the Yukon, if I remember correctly. And at the end of the film, they were talking about how they it was two friends and how the third friend was unable to be there. And then at the end of the film, they revealed that his ashes were in that shotgun shell. He had passed away. And there was an emotional moment at the end where they shot his ashes into the air over the river. And that was, um, that was a really captivating moment. And... 
it gives the audience something to really appreciate, to feel like they really got something out of this project or out of that project. Um, a lot of people will watch um, outdoor videos to see what happens at the end, um, but you want to give them also a reason not to skip to the end. Some people will try to get people to want to stick around to the end by maybe putting um, a cliffhanger at the very beginning. Maybe they'll show a snippet of what's to come and they'll play that at the very beginning of their project. That's kind of a common thing to do. Um, but you don't want your audience to skip through your project just to get to the end. So you don't want to just have a reason for them to um, to stay to the end, but you want to give them a reason to watch the whole thing. So it's got to have good buildup. Um, if you're filming a mountain climbing video or rock climbing video about, let's say, Maru, um, there's a great documentary about the first people to ever successfully climb the shark fin, and it's called Maru. And what the what the video was about, I mean, yes, you want to watch it because you want to see them get to the end. You want to see whether or not they climbed Maru successfully. Um, but you also watch it because of everything that goes into it, the challenges that go into it, how difficult it was, how close to death these people came. And obviously that's not going to be for the vast majority of projects you work on. But still, you want to give people not just a reason to appreciate the film like Beyond the Roar did, but you want to give them a reason to appreciate the entire aspect, the whole journey. Um, and Beyond the Roar did a good job of that too. I mean, yes, the kind of the ending of it was to show the um, the shooting of the ashes over the river, but the journey to get there was really captivating as well. So you want to give your audience not just an ending to look forward to because otherwise they'll watch their phone the entire time if it's a TV show or if they're watching it online they'll just skip to the end to see what happens. You got to think past that. You got to give them a reason to watch the beginning and the middle as well. Um, whether it's an informative um, video and you're giving them information or whether it's dramatic, you know, whatever the case may be, your audience needs a reason to stick with you throughout the whole journey. So don't just focus on the ending and have a bunch of filler content just to get to the ending and have the ending be the, the grand finale and that be it um, the, because the finale won't be so grand if there was nothing to build up to it. So give your audience not just a really great ending to your story or a great reason to watch to the end, but give them a reason to watch the whole thing. Take them through the journey. Even if it's a minute and a half dentist video, take them through Take them through the office. Take them through the experience. Let them see what it's like to be in the chair there at that dentist office. Give them a reason to watch it. Don't make it overly long, but just give them a reason to watch it from the beginning, the middle, to the end. If you don't do that, people will click off your video um, before you ever get to the end. And I've had that happen to me. I mean, I've produced videos in the past that I thought were great, but the reality was it was they watched halfway and they're like, oh, this is really cool. Um, but then I've created videos that I, when I learned that and I created videos that were a little bit more captivating, people watch the whole thing and then they're like, that's it? I mean, I want it to keep going. That's what you want your audience to feel. You also need to determine before you ever get to a place, if you want to have, a, have the project be driven by voiceover, interviews, uh, infilled dialogue, text, or a combination of all four. Um, you don't want to just show up somewhere and 
shoot a bunch of shots and then get home and say, well, I didn't really get much infield dialogue or anything like that. I forgot to interview the people. I ran out of time. So yeah, I guess I'm just gonna have to use voiceover. Um, and I say that as someone who's been guilty of that, I definitely have been guilty of that. Um, so I think that one of the things that's really important is that you decide before you go into the project, kind of what the feel is. Do you want it to be voiceover driven, interview driven, um, driven by infield dialogue? Do you want to have text? You know, if you're doing a real estate video, for instance, do you just want to have text or do you want to mix the text with the voiceover? Like you need to figure those things out going in. And again, you can adapt and change. Um, when I went to do the Heart of the Hollow project in Oklahoma, the the, the ranch video, I originally wanted it to be interview driven because I wanted the potential buyer um, to see Bob and to see him on camera and to hear him talk and then see shots that supported it. In fact, I actually um, did an interview with Bob while I was there and was cutting it during the day one day um, because I wasn't shooting during the day much. I was cutting it together to um, music and I already had it completely cut to music and it looked really good. But then like five or six days into the project, I told Bob, I was like, man, I don't know why, but I woke up this morning and realized this needs to be an interview. And it just, for some reason, I feel like this project's going to be better with an interview or not an interview, voiceover. Um, I just told him, I, I feel like this is going to be much better done with a voiceover. I don't know why something just tells me that. And so I sat down one one afternoon and I wrote this incredible script and I showed it to him and he's like, holy crap, where'd you come up with that? And I said, I don't know, man, something just told me I needed to talk about these things and this is it. And he looked at it. He helped me change a couple words. And then he was like, man, let's do it. And we recorded the voiceover and that's, and that ended up being what the project was. Um, and so you can make that change. You don't have to stick with whatever your game plan is, but I still would plan, have a plan going in and try to follow that plan. Because if you just get there and, and shoot a bunch of content, and and then decide, you know, after the fact what you want to do, you may not have the content to support what it is you want to talk about. And so by doing the voiceover with Bob about halfway through the shoot, um, some of the things I wrote down in my voiceover, I knew I didn't have footage for, but because I got it done quickly and before the shoot was over, I was able to make sure and add those to my shot sheet and go grab those shots so I could support the voiceover. It was really important that I did that. And so before you go on a shoot, I would try to establish, you know, what what is the feel that you're going for? You know, how do you want to tell the story? And then if possible, I would write down what you want them to say in their interview. Um, I When I do interviews, I don't just let people talk. I don't let them sit there and ramble on. I don't say, okay, tell me about what happened. Um, I guide them. I mean, you are a producer. You are hired to make, if, you, if you're doing this for pay, you are literally hired to be there to produce. So tell people what to say. Tell them what not to say. Direct them. Um, sometimes people hate working with me. I can, I can be very um, controlling, but that's my job. I'm literally the producer. I know what I need to be able to make what I need to make. And so I tell people what to talk about in their interview. I say, hey, I want you to start off by saying this, and I want you to go in and say this. You can put it in your own words, but I need you to say X, Y, and Z. Go. And I have them do that because I know that those are the things that I need to be able to tell my story. So when you're going into a place, you can write a lot of that down so you know ahead of time um, kind of what you want your person to talk about. 
Or if you're there and you figure out what you want them to talk about, you know, halfway through being there, um, at you know, it's okay at that point to write it out. But still, before you go into an interview, write down what you want them to say and know that and direct them when they're doing their interviews so they know what to talk about. Same thing goes for infield dialogue. If you're filming, um, you know, kind of a, uh, let's say you're filming a, a hunting film and you know, in the mountains somewhere and you're chasing after sheep, have people um, tell them, you know, when you're there, hey, look, today I want you this morning, right now, I want you to tell me, you know, what we're doing, what happened yesterday, why did it not work out, and what are we trying to do today to improve on what happened yesterday, and have them say that to you in infill dialogue so you can have that on camera. And if you don't, if you don't intentionally make people do those things, you're going to be short on content and you're going to have no choice but to use voiceover. Voiceover is not a bad thing. Um, and for certain projects like Heart of the Hollow, for me, it was the right way to go. However, you don't want to fall on voiceover and use it as a crutch because you didn't take the time to write down things and have people talk about things while you were there on the job. So it's really important that you get those things done so that you can make a more captivating story because you're not using your, when you're, when someone's telling the story, they're telling it the way you designed it, not the way you had to do it because you had no other option, if that makes sense. Um, and it's important that you keep everyone on track too. Like when I get to a place, I don't, I don't just let people wander off and do their own thing and I just kind of hang back and, and just point the camera. I stay on track, man. I, I'm following my shot sheet. I'm telling people what's going to happen. I'm saying, hey, today I need to go out on the ATV and I need to get X, Y, and Z shots. Um, and I need you to be here at such and such time so I can get such and such shot with you. And I, I stay on track and I make sure that I do that because I'm only there for so many days and I need to make sure that I get everything I need to get when I need to get it. And you got to be very direct and you may not be the most liked person in camp because of that, um, but they'll appreciate the end product because you stayed on track, you followed your sheet and you told people what was going to happen and you actually directed. That is the difference between a field producer and a cameraman. A cameraman points and pulls the trigger on the record. A field producer tells people what to do and when to do it. That is the difference. And if you want to tell a captivating story, you have to be a field producer. You can't be a cameraman. If you are simply a cameraman, you are going to do nothing but get a bunch of random content that some editor is going to have to sift through. You need to be a field producer. You need to direct and you need to stay on track and you need to follow your script. You also, you know, you got to not overuse things too when you're there. Um, when you're telling a story, don't, don't beat a dead bush. You know, don't, I didn't make any sense. <laughs> don't beat a dead horse. You don't want to say, okay, um, it's a really pretty place. I'm just going to shoot a whole bunch of aerial shots and I'm just going to use that for a lot of my video. Or don't say, you know, I'm not sure how I'm going to show such and such things. So I'm just going to get a bunch of slow motion shots. And then you end up overusing stuff. If you're going to use slow motion shots or drone shots or things like that, try not to overuse them and use them in a tasteful way that supports your story. So if you're following your shot sheet and you realize I need to get some time lapses because I want to show the sun coming up or the sun going down so that I can 
uh, or even clouds passing so that I can advance the time or move the story along, then you're not just having a time lapse for the sake of having a time lapse. You're having a time lapse because it's helping you tell the story. It's helping you move time. If you have a slow motion shot, for instance, in that Woody River film, the the film I did in Canada that I haven't released yet, um, I did not use slow motion until the very end of the film. I used it right when the music started to end, kind of towards the ending, and I wanted to show some shots of the family uh, and the kids playing in the snow and that type of stuff. And so I used it purposefully to help tell that certain aspect of the story. Um, And same thing with like uh, sliding shots. I used it to reveal something, not just because it looked cool. And so knowing how to be purposeful with your shots. It's okay to have a sliding shot that's pretty, just so long as you don't overuse it. But you're always it's always best to try to use something like that for a purpose, not just for the sake of having it there. Otherwise, you're going to end up overusing those different production values, and it's going to be obvious that you're using it as a crutch because you're not sure what else to, to capture. Um... Other things are do things the right way. If you want to have a really captivating story, um, don't be afraid to put in the effort. Um, You can't have a captivating story if you're lazy. If you want to have a captivating story, you've got to take the time to to get up early in the morning. You know, you may not want to get up at four in the morning, but if you know that getting up at four in the morning uh, gives you enough time to drive to some place to set up to get some awesome sunrise time lapse, do it because that's what's going to allow you to get that shot um, when lazy people uh, aren't willing to put in the effort. Um, Maybe you don't want to stay up at night to get a nightscape, but you know that there's going to be the northern lights where you're at in Canada and you know if you capture that on camera, you can use that um, to go with, you know, something you had in your shot sheet, then don't be lazy and sleep in. Instead, get up in the middle of the night and go get that northern, you know, northern lights time lapse. You know, don't be afraid to do things a hard way. Don't be afraid to uh, to set up a boom pole to with a boom mic on it to get really good sounding audio for your interview. Um, don't just throw a wireless wireless mic on someone because uh, to get an interview just because it's easy. Do things the hard way um, and the right way, and if you do that, you will have a better quality product. So don't be don't be afraid to put in the effort. Um, if you're not willing to put in the effort your videos are going to be average. Captivating videos are put together by people that do the due diligence up front, that put in the time, the research, the shot sheet, establish the goals, that get up early in the morning, that get up in the middle of the night, that haul the 10-pound tripod. Those are the people who are going to have the better stories because they're willing to put the time and effort in. And maybe you can't run a boom pole in your interview because you're shooting your interview on the side of a mountain somewhere. Maybe you can't lug a 10-pound tripod with you. That's fine. But it's all part of your story. And that's, you know, that's understandable because of your circumstance. And you can incorporate that into your project. Um, But don't not bring a 10-pound tripod when you could just because you don't want to. Um, And plan for more time than you think. You know, I talked about how when I'm at uh, a ranch and I'm doing a ranch video, I'm usually there for a week to 10 days. I I do that because I know I might spend four of those or five of those days sitting in blinds trying to get footage of wildlife. Um, I know that for me to put together the type of product I want to put together, I need to have lots of deer footage. I need to have lots of footage of birds and foxes and things like that. 
And I know it takes time to get those things. So I block off a chunk of time and I plan to be there for longer than it might actually take me. And a, a lot of times I'm shooting till the very last day and I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to get everything. Um, but I still am able to get it all because I plan for more time than what some people would think. I know like recently I had a guy who wanted me to do a, a, a shoot for him, a commercial for him. And it was going to be, um, have to, we're gonna have to shoot it in like five different locations. And it was a lot of different shots, but he wanted to do it in like one afternoon. And I told him he was crazy. I said, I, know, I want three days. And he's like three days. And I said, yeah, three days, because I know that it's going to take time to set up and do things the right way. And I'm not a machine gun shooter. I'm going to plan it out. We're going to get to each location and we're going to do it the right way. And so I want to block off three days, not an afternoon. And at that, when we were done, he was really glad that we did that because it looks so much better. So plan for extra time and try your best to shoot in good lighting. I know you can't always do that, but just try your best. And I mentioned a second ago, a machine gun shooter. I think that's really important. I worked with an outdoor, a freelance for an outdoor TV show once, and I won't say who it was, but this outdoor TV show, they asked me, they're like, how come you're not filming everything? You know, you're not pointing, you're not constantly rolling. And I said, well, why should I, you know, I'm only going to be filming the things that I know I need to get. Um, I might get extra content. Sure. I absolutely agree with getting extra content. And like I said earlier, always get as much content as you can, but don't be a machine gun shooter. Don't, you know, constantly hit record. All that's going to do is create a nightmare for your editor. And it kind of keeps you off track. I would rather be on my phone not filming and instead looking at my shot sheet, changing things out, updating my shot sheet, planning on things, and then going and getting those things than I would just constantly be hitting record and filming everything that we're driving by or walking by. Because um, if you do that and, and you're a machine gun shooter, you are not staying focused, you are getting off task, and you are going to give your editor a nightmare that they have to sift through. And you're actually going to end up missing out on good opportunities because you're just wasting time on stuff that doesn't even matter. So don't be a machine gun shooter. Do get a lot of infield sound. Oh my gosh, sound is so important and it is so undervalued by people when they're shooting. They just they make it a second thought or a third or fourth thought even. But sound is so incredibly important. So constantly try to get good audio while you're there. For instance, um, we'll go back to this the Canada film. I knew I wanted to get really good audio for it to make this project really good. So one of the things I did, uh, for instance, when I got shots of ATVs or a tractor, for example, um, with my drone, I went back on the ground and I had people redrive by with the ATV and the tractor and things like that so I could capture audio with a boom mic. Um, I just took a, I took a shotgun mic, I put it in a pistol grip and and connected it to my Zoom controller my, or my Zoom recorder. And I went out there and I stood there and I got audio clips of the tractor driving by or people driving by in the ATV and stuff like that. So that when I went to edit and post, I had audio to go with those shots. And let me tell you, it sounds so much better. My project looks so much more professional because I had, I had audio to go with my aerial shots. So many people don't do that. They just get an aerial shot, drop it into music and call it a day. But watch any good video like the, like Gladiator or anything like that. There's always audio supporting the visuals. So get a lot of sound while you're there. Even if you're not recording it straight into the camera, go and get it after the fact, you know, redo something, have someone re load their gun or have someone re, you know, 
shut the door of their truck so you can capture the audio to go with the footage you got. It will make you sound and look so much better than other people. It alone will make your video more captivating. Um, Heart of the Hollow was, I did an excellent job of capturing a lot of sound for that project. Um, when you see a drone shot inside a barn towards the end and you see dust in the distance and, a, and the faint reflection of a truck driving by, you hear that truck faintly on gravel. And then it cuts to another aerial shot above the truck. Again, you hear the truck driving on the gravel and it helps set the scene so much better. Um, so shots like that, you know, they, they just come alive when you take the time to get sound in the field. Um, sometimes you may not be able to get sound. You may have to recreate it in post or buy Foley audio from a website like pond5.com, and that's fine. I do that all the time. But capture as much as you possibly can in the field because you may not be able to find it and in post or, or online to purchase, or you may not be able to recreate it. Um, and even if you can find it, you still have to spend money getting it, um, and your editor may not want to take the time to look for it. So try to get as much in-field sound as you possibly can. And then keep notes on everything. Um, there's no point in having random ATV sounds if your editor doesn't know, you know what it goes to. Even if you're the editor, notes are so important. If you want to make a captivating video, you got to have structure. So when I'm editing or shooting in the field, I keep a notepad on my phone and I'm constantly on my phone and my, my clients probably think I'm over here texting, but what I'm really doing is I'm keeping notes. Um, I'm saying, hey, I shot this shot to go with this voiceover part or the reason why there is an audio file here on my Zoom uh, SD card one is because it goes with this aerial shot of an ATV I got. And I write that down. So when, you know, I edit my own work, but if I wasn't, if I was handing it off to an editor and he can, he's looking at all my files, he has a notepad, a note sheet that I give him that goes with all of it. And he can know, you know, okay, card three, um, shot number four, goes for, you know, such and such part of the video. And my editor, you know, when, when people get my video files to edit, they're always blown away because it's so easy for them to put it together. It's like a puzzle piece. Um, and I edit 95% or probably more than that. I probably edit like 98% of all my own projects. And so, you know, I don't, I, I'm not looking at it for the first time, but even then having those notes is still very, very helpful because I'm able to go back and remember why I did certain things. And it helps me to be able to make sure I don't leave anything out. And because of that, because of that structure, I can make a video that's a lot more captivating. Um, also, don't be afraid when you're, when you're editing, don't be afraid to experiment with music that has lyrics. I find that some, some cap, some videos are more captivating because they tap into music that other people may not think about using. If you watch uh, a really good video, like I love God's Not Dead. I think it's a really well-produced Christian film. And, you know, they have a lot of music in there that has lyrics and the lyrics kind of match what's going on. I try to do a lot of that in my films. I try to tap into music that have lyrics. Um, I don't get random cool tracks with lyrics that 
don't make sense to what the project is, but I try to find music that has lyrics, and a lot of times I'll buy the rights to that song as well as the instrumental version, and I'll mix the two together so my music has the instrumental stuff when when I don't want there to be lyrics, maybe when someone's talking or something, uh, but then I can kick it into lyrics when I do want lyrics. And Heart of the Hollow is another good example of that. The first track um, in Heart of the Hollow, there's three songs in that seven or eight minute long video, and the first track was two, uh, an, an instrumental and a lyrical track mixed together. And I used the lyrics when, I, when it made sense, and then I cut to the instrumental version when it didn't. And so this song, you can hear lyrics, and I actually have shots that go with the lyrics. It's really cool. And so that, that alone makes my video look a lot more captivating because it looks like I had the music custom made for my film. So don't be afraid to experiment with that. And don't be afraid to tell your story. Um, whenever I do put out this Canada film, whenever I decide to do that, um, people may not like it. Maybe it's not their thing. Maybe they get bored by it. I have no idea. But I told it the way that I wanted to tell it. I told my story. Um, and the people I've showed it to really like it. But maybe not everybody will. I don't know. But I'm not. Af I was not afraid to be different. Uh, it's a different type of video. And I shot it and produced it in a way that was intentionally designed to be different. And maybe not everyone will, will like it, but I'm not afraid of that because it was my story told the way I wanted to tell it. And I'm confident in that. And you should be too. And don't be, you know, don't be afraid to be different. Even if not everyone will like it, if, if you do and you are confident in it, then tell your story. And maybe it might be more captivating because you weren't, maybe you weren't afraid to be different than other people. Also, don't be afraid to cut things out or to add things into your video. Um, I remember one time there was an outdoor film festival that uh, was interested in showing a project that I made, um, but they hadn't actually watched it and they just heard it was pretty good. And they contacted me um, about having my project being played uh, at some of their film festivals. But before they even watched it, they said, hey, we saw it was, you know, 20 something minutes long. We want you to um, cut it down. And I told them, I said, did you watch it? And they said, no. And I said, well, if you'd watch it, you would know that there's no way I could cut it down. And he's, the guy told me, he said, that's not true. He said, every single video out there can be 10 minutes or less. So we need you to cut it down, um, but we still want you to, we, you know, we want your film, but we just need you to cut it down. Once you cut it down, then I'll watch it. And I said, how can you say that without watching it? He said, because I know for a fact that every single outdoor film can be 10 minutes or less. And I said, well, are you going to say that to Donnie Vincent's The Rivers Divide? And he said, well, it's a little different. And I said, well, how do you know mine's not different? You don't know until you watch it. And the reality is, is that you don't know how long a film or a video should be until you start producing it. You can go in with a game plan, but it might change. Now, if you're doing a commercial that's got to be 30 seconds, obviously you know going in what your time limit's going to be. Same thing with a TV show. But when you're doing a short film or something like that, Sometimes, especially if you're documenting something, sometimes the project may end up being shorter or longer than you originally had intended. But don't be afraid to let that happen so long as you tell your story fully and completely. Um, if you start to make it kind of long because you, you're adding unnecessary stuff, cut it out. 
You know, if it's not contributing to your story, cut it out. Um, but if it is contributing to your story and you feel like it, it's really important, um, then leave it in there. And if it makes your project longer, well, that's the beauty of producing web videos and things like that that are not TV-based, is that you can have them be a shorter, short or as long as you want them to be, so long as you, you know, don't have a guideline um, or a client that tells you it has to be X length um, or under X length or something like that. So don't be afraid to cut stuff out that's not needed. And also don't be afraid to let it run longer if it's a good captivating story. For that particular project, there was absolutely no way on the planet I was going to cut stuff out of it. Um, but not every project is that way. So just don't be afraid to let the project run its course. Um, and just make it as long as it needs to be. Not unnecessary long and uh, and not too short, but just however long it needs to be. Overall, if you want to produce a captivating video, you really got to focus on your story. Um, try to find a way to tell a compelling story. You know, if your project is for uh, a church and you're wanting to do a, a video on something in your church that maybe talks about a program, uh, maybe maybe it's a mission, you're trying to do a mission video for your church, then take the time to find a subject for that mission video that is captivating um, and that has a really compelling story and tell that story. Um, if you're shooting a hunting film somewhere, then try your best to tell a captivating story by figuring out what's unique, what's different, and go with that angle. That's what makes it captivating. Don't just do the same old, same old. Don't just get the same shots, tell the same story. Try your very best, if possible, to come out with an angle that's different um, and that's unique to whatever particular story it is you're telling, whether it's the person you're filming or the place you're at. Figure out what it is that makes your story different and that make that your focus point and then support that story um, and do that by having a game plan you know do some research going in find out is your person captivating is the place captivating and then capitalize on those things and and write down why you want to focus on those things because that's what makes them different and then write your story out before you go and you know obviously don't be afraid to adapt your story based on you know what's you know what actually happens when you're filming but but have a game plan going in so that you at least have something to somewhat stick to so that you know what to focus on. Don't be a machine gun shooter. Don't shoot blindly and just record a bunch of random stuff. Go in with a game plan. Focus on telling a unique story or whatever story is, you know, whatever is unique to that story and focus on that. Support your story with a shot sheet full of shots and don't get a bunch of random, repetitive, slow motion, gimbal, slider stuff. Only get those shots when they make sense and contribute to your story. You know, get it. don't have a time lapse because you think it's cool. Have a time lapse because it progresses time. If you do things like that, your, your story will feel natural. It will be compelling. People will want to watch it. They'll be drawn to it because it looks well-produced. It feels well-produced. It tells a good story. You're much better off shooting a, a video off your iPhone that has, you know, a good story to it, then you are renting a red and getting a bunch of B-roll and sticking it to music and calling it a day. So 
I think that if you if you follow that that thought process and you make that your goal going in, then and to do things the right way and to focus on not only your story, but capturing your story with good audio and things like that and good supporting footage, then overall you will you will produce a more captivating video, whether it's, you know, a documentary film, a TV show, um, or a web video for a dentist. It doesn't matter. You know, everything needs to have a beginning, a middle, an end. Everything needs to have good supporting sound. Everything needs to be told in a way that makes sense and and a very clear, concise message. Everything needs to be captured as best as you can possible as best as you can possibly get it or capture it based on your circumstance. And if you put the effort in and you have a game plan ahead of time, you will produce a more captivating video. Just do research, put in the work, and try your very best not to be repetitive and not to be just like everyone else. Um, and if you follow these steps, even if you're even if your story is similar to other people's, if you if you do it in a way that just feels well done, you'll get more eyeballs on it. Um, and I can say that because I feel that I have produced videos that I thought were outstanding, that had tons of cool slow motion and great music and all this stuff, and nobody watched it. And then I've produced videos like Heart of the Hollow that had hardly any slow motion and no gimbal shots, and I don't, I don't even think any slider shots. Um, but it, and it was short, but it was a really good story, and I, I shot it well, and that got fifty thousand views in just a couple weeks on Facebook. That's the difference. So focus on on those things and the things I covered in this podcast, and you'll notice that your projects will start to be um, a little bit more captivating. And the last thing I want to say is. I mentioned earlier how I, my wife and I sat down a while back and we watched a lot of my videos and we were brutally honest with ourselves, you know, what was good and what was, what was uh, not good. I highly recommend you do that. Watch back your videos and analyze them. You are your best critic. Figure out what makes your projects look okay. You know, what are you doing right? And be honest with yourself and say, what am I what am I being repetitive on? What am I doing wrong? What are the things that I'm I'm weak at? And where do I need to improve? And then find ways to improve it. You know, research how to capture better audio. Watch the vlog I, I did last week on capturing audio or reach out to a sound engineer that lives in your town and ask if you can shadow them. Um, if you feel like you're struggling with your storytelling, um, go back to watching movies and write down the things that make that movie interesting to you and try to mimic some of those things in your projects. I love Free Solo. I watched Free Solo recently, the documentary film that Jimmy Chen made about um, the first person to ever climb El Capitan without a rope. The guys <laughs> did something I could never imagine doing. It was an incredible documentary. And I wrote down a lot of things I really liked about it that I thought made the story captivating. And I'm going to try to use some of those um, things I wrote down to help me improve my videos. And you should do the same. And you know, if you feel like you're struggling um, in certain areas, you ah, don't be afraid to ask your peers. Ask for help from people that you know and respect in whatever industry you're you're filming in, so that you can improve in the areas that you feel you need to improve in. And don't be afraid to ask other people to watch your work and critique it too. I think that at the end of the day, it's you you really just need to analyze the things you're doing right and the things you're doing wrong and keep doing the right things you're doing right um, and 
learn to improve in the areas that you are struggling with. And if you if you are honest with yourself, that alone will help you produce more captivating videos. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you get something from it. If you feel like you have any more questions about this, feel free to email me at josh at rusticriver.media or shoot me uh, a PM um, on Facebook at uh, Joshua Milligan, or you can find me on Instagram at rustic underscore river underscore media. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast. Let me know what you like about the podcast that I've been making and let me know what you feel I can improve upon. Um, I'm not afraid to be honest with my podcast either. And so tell me what you like and what you don't like so I can make my podcast more informative and better for those of you who are listening to it. And please give it a rate on iTunes or Podbean so that more people can learn about my podcast. Don't forget about the upcoming film school on May 17th, 18th, and 19th where a lot of the things that we talked about today, we're actually going to do in that film school. We are going to um, break down some of the things I've done in videos in the past that were bad, some of the things I've done that were good. We're going to talk about video production, and we're going to storyboard from beginning to end uh, a commercial for this hunting ranch here in Central Texas. And then we're going to, the things that I talked about today, we're actually going to do in practice, and we're going to go get the shots that follow a shot sheet that we're going to create, and we're going to produce a video in three days for this ranch following a lot of the things I, I discussed today. So if you want to if you want to see this done in person, if you want to come learn from me um, and the people that I'm going to have there at the film school helping teach it, I want to encourage you to sh- shoot me an email and I'd uh, love to have you come be a part of this and to come learn more about um, this process as well as just video production as a whole. Um, and uh, just thanks again, guys, for following me and for listening to this podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll catch you guys later. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.